Hey, uh, that's annoying. I'm sorry about that. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin. I'm here for the AltaCast, or some call me Tim, or whatever we're calling. I have no idea. We're screaming into the void. It's fine. It's not your radio. I don't know if I will be joined today via phone or in the flesh by Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth. We were not together last week because it was the 4th of July. I didn't really do anything special. I just did some comedy shows. Kind of a regular Tuesday. Uh, yeah, but life is good. We're here in the studio at 278 121st Street. I'm going to put on, because uh, Toya doesn't usually show up to the second hour anyway, in the a- aviary in Coencia. Coencia. Anyway, this is an old poetry album by Dan Langton. Uh, he's one of my professors. I can't imagine that he's still alive. But he was a great poet, and uh, yeah, he was part of the beat movement, and there's some pic- cool pictures of him, you know, back like Allen Ginsberg and those guys, William Burroughs and the like. Um, all right, so we're going to enjoy that. Hopefully the Sheriff of Truth uh, either, either will be calling or hopefully in the flesh. And yeah, until then, please enjoy... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, A, to you. I'm sorry, B, to any DJ in the whole world. I'm sorry to everybody. (laughs) I'm sorry to this needle. I'm a little shaky. Here we go. The first poem is named October 8th. I noticed the leaves today. I have been sick and losing touch, but there they surely were, falling from crowded trees, playing at survival, trying to make my brain as thick as their gatherings, their wrinkled ends, their may, lying like truthful books the winners burn, told in a language I will never learn. My brother has been dead a year today. I think of all the poems that use the fall to euphemize a death, But Jimmy died this blazing time of year, and all the kinds of metaphor won't reach the boy I call and mourn and hunger for, the boy who tried too well. They are just leaves, life teachers, art reminds. And this poem is named, for instance, and as in many of my poems, the first line is part of the poem. For instance, in the treehouse, Lars brought me papayas, his eyes wet from laughing and from stealing, his back cut somewhere. We ate juice on our noses, and Lars said, sunburn never hurts as long as you stay naked, but if you put on clothes, once they're on, then there is no hope. There is never any hope, I said. Lars drank the lukewarm water he had taught me to prefer and smiled with his crowded teeth, his crowded everything, and said, There is hope for papayas. He lay back and spit in the air, and it landed on his forehead, and he didn't mind. You can always tell if you're a good man, he said. Just smell your hands. Twenty years of smelling my hands when no one's looking, and now a letter... His sons are dead, and he holds his wife's bad hand in Bolivia and nurses the wind. And I stand in the Safeway parking lot, crying into canned papayas, thinking he should not have that. He cannot take that. He cannot live with that. 
and I remember how my sunburn hurts under my clothes, and I know I must stay naked and vulnerable. And this poem, too, the title is also the first line. This poem, by the way, was written uh, for my wife the week of her birthday, and it was published in a weekly magazine. And I got quite a few letters saying, thank you for the poem, and how did you know it was my birthday this week? Some people I didn't know. But that's okay, I understood. Today begins the week of her birthday, and I will bring her oranges and a parasol and a poem on a letterhead. On Tuesday, I will be empty-handed. Wednesday, I will bring her rice and a dream and peonies and a knowledge of Italian and study her ear. Thursday, I will stay away. Friday, she will beam and put my hand over her heart to hear it beat and serve me rice and kiss my ear. I will give her one wish. On Saturday I will go barefoot to her and dance her Greek dances and let her see my love in its place. On Sunday she will be older and we will cry and eat oranges under our parasol for the whole world to see. This next poem obviously was uh, written for a boy on his, uh, obviously for a boy, but was written for his seventh birthday. It is called The Age of Reason. Soon as the wind is cold, you'll turn your head around, tear the mannered fold, and leave without a sound. I would not be your tongue nor bind you like a mask, but while we are both young, respond to what I ask. Share the starling's eye, understand the loon, feel the salmon's cry, respect the silent moon, harbor outlaw schemes, ignore the common wheel, live beyond your dreams, never salute or kneel. This next poem is for a woman who would be young again. Last night we danced by a mirror in the home of a casual friend and you turned your head in terror saying, don't dance that way again, I think of myself as graceful. When dancing I'm pretty and thin and I find it too distasteful to eye the odd folly within. I had no heart to reassure nor to say the mirror lied, though to my mind you're young and pure and shine like a sensate bride. So now these words, these words to say what could not at the time be said, these words to calm an autumn day, to speak for me in firmer stead. Here is a glass that never lies, the poem submitted to the page, this one to say your soul, your eyes, all that is ageless will not age. Yours is a soul so brashly grand it lines the seasoned face with youth, so those who see may understand. Two signs are not the same as truth. And this is a fresh air. This is the day I meet my love and take her candy walking. This is the day I take my love with a minimum of talking. 
We'll walk in the lamplit streets of cheer among the staring children. And I'll whisper in my young love's ear, my heart is a flaming cauldron. We'll have a drink near the city shore till my young love's heart has lightened. When I rise to leave, she'll order more, for my young love will be frightened. I'll lift her gently from her chair, and she'll do as she is bidden. For beneath the breast of my lady fair, a steaming heart is hidden. We'll walk to the house in which she lives with its paint like chocolate pudding. And when I take and my lady gives, she'll be done with maiden hooding. And now I must leave you as you see on the steps of her darkened home. For two things a man needs privacy, and one is to make a poem. I've wanted to write a pantoon for many years. I couldn't think of a subject that is important enough and constantly recurs. And then, uh, thanks to Parker Mills, I finally saw what was staring me in the face. So I wrote this pantoon for Parker Mills. The world is just as new as once it was whenever love's strong waves send forth a sun. Whatever else the birth of children does, it leads grown men to feel there's something one. Whenever love's strong waves send forth a sun, the dawn of breathing life impresses all. It leads grown men to feel there's something one. It melts for just a while the graying wall. The dawn of breathing life impresses all who in their grace can still be moved by grace. It melts for just a while the graying wall. We stand for one sweet moment face to face. Who in their grace can still be moved by grace will know this feeling and will know just when we stand for one sweet moment face to face. I am as sure as Job that all grown men will know this feeling and will know just when to praise the child and thus to praise the truth. I am as sure as Job that all grown men rejoice and glory in the birth of youth. To praise the child and thus to praise the truth. Parker, I wrote this poem because of you. Rejoice and glory in the birth of youth. It gives grown men a fresh and lovely view. Parker, I wrote this poem because of you. Whatever else the birth of children does, it gives grown men a fresh and lovely view. The world is just as new as once it was. One of the lovely things about being a poet is that you get paid for your fantasies. Other people have to hide them. And so I would like to present you with President Langton. There will be no slogans, no mottos, just a quiet sweetness limbed with modesty. Certain conundrums will have to be answered. There's the matter of the raincoat at Abercrombie and Fitch, the disastrous affair of Miss A in the provincial city of SLC. My army records will have disappeared. Some inner glow will soothe the populace. They will notice I do not drink, preen about my wit, and send me to foreign capitals where I always speak the native's tongue. I'll translate Mao. Mao will translate me. I will beat Bobby Fisher at swimming and Mark Spitz at chess. I will not pass good laws, but I will strangle bad ones. My wife will get to meet Brando, and Dylan's kids will play on the lawn. 
Each Christmas, I will dispatch pardons to obscure dealers in Texas. I will buy my clothes off the rack and say goodbye gently. You will be missed. This poem is called Long Distance. They called to me to tell me my father was dying. The wind was from the east as I glanced at the trees. Thanks. Thanks very much, I said, and that kind, soft man, his arm raised, waved goodbye from the ship of his days. Old hymns and a lost communion turned me as I turned away. I stood again in that cold church, my father beside me, the clustered nuns before us, the wind at my satin back. My hand is still so much smaller than his. My very good friend, Chao Chang, came here from China to study, and uh, because of political change, he had to stay. He taught me the Lu, he taught me Chinese poetry, and one night he said, you know, I never see any new Chinese poetry, and I miss it. And I said, well, I'll write you one. This poem is called Chinese Sound, and it's a Lu. Grass on shore stands tall, calm, calm on the breeze. Slick small red birds call, call from the tall trees. Chickpeas float, then fall, fall to warm shore leaves. Leaf ends curl and ball, fish suck down chickpeas. Bullfrogs leap and crawl, snap at flies and fleas. Lie on warm sea wall, lie like fat green keys. Snow winds snap their paw, quick eyes quake, then freeze. Cold wind kills it all, some say no eye sees. Anyway, he liked it. I published some poetry uh, in India once, and a man in Tibet saw it and wrote me a letter and said, uh, what is it like to be a man, to be a poet, to be an American? And I wrote him at once in prose, but eventually the letter became a poem. Letter to a poet who has never left Tibet. We live in a house made of trees, my wife, my son, a dog, and I. We have a life as quiet as a bee's. I try to teach the four things I have learned, knowing that each will find a place to lie. I've put the four in other poems. Like you, I guess, I'm more a poet than a lover or a friend, though I am friendly and my loves don't end. As to my country, it is much too strong to go the way it's going very long. Our old are books we do not read. Our young are never singing, and they are never sung. I think we take more than we'll ever give. There is a tax on flowers where I live. The Marriage of Anne It started like this. A plain of yellow and green supporting Conestogas, a mild dawn wind chased before the sun, the first quick-waking rabbits skittering, wakened by hunger and a familiar cycle. Smell of grass, possibly grass, smell of water on the air and the firm smell of buffalo, smell of men and women. On the dawn wind, the smell of rain. Children under the wagons waken and wander downhill, look to the east, look for the sun, shivering. 
In a crowded wagon, a woman opens blue eyes, stares at a blue pan, at her new daughter, at her sleeping husband, without belief. A man rubs a greasy hand in a greasy beard, squinting from habit, finally stands at the flap of his wagon, splashing his piss on the greedy ground. A young boy dreams of Tennessee, of swish of gown on undergown, wakens with a heavy hand and spreads his sleeping wife. Thunder, but no lightning. The first up, the walkers before breakfast nod as they walk, crooked against the unsure ground, bobbing around the wagons. A naked girl, ten, swims in the river. The man who fathered her watches and cannot understand his anxiety. In the wagon nearest the river, Robert awakens, shiver in his bones. A girl who is sure she'd be first awakens last, sits in the light of her lamp, takes off her shift, strokes her breast downward, then upward, strokes her belly from the top to the bottom, slides her palms on her legs from the bottom to the top, then stands and nods at the empty canvas walls as the sun finally flakes the first white rocks. This is the day of the marriage of Anne. The sun floats across the sky with becoming majesty, warming to its task until it can no longer be thought of as kind. The noon meal is grand. Children bolt and dance. Dogs yip. Women cluck. This is a wedding day. Reverend Glaucender shaves for the first time in a week, winks at a passing friend for the first time in six. Mostly, it's been burials. Anne and her mother prepare. The mother shy, the child intent. Brisk hands adorn the offering. Robert tugs at the silken shorts, fingers the new wool shirt, stares in the mirror, looking for signs. The violin perks up as Trumlin jiggles, practicing his piece. Let us hear it, Trumlin, and the violin like a high donkey laughs at them, and they good hearts laugh back. A pig has been killed for the wedding, and eight big deer line a spit. Beer has been crocked in the wagons, and countless cakes are cooked. The boy a groom now has a pull of whiskey, the bride a sip of wine. At three the games begin, a fighting match, champion of the train, a broken tooth and a clear winner, a foot race, a swim twice across the river, a shooting exhibition by the guide who misses the target each time. The all-day threatening rain still blusters, still grumbles, but the earth is still dry and the dauntless sun continues by. The people move to the center fire, nudge, nudging and pushing to have a look. The bride and groom stand cold apart until the reverend takes their hands. Dear God, these your children are marrying God knows where in the nation of the Cheyenne, determined to live as man and wife and deliver unto this sweet earth the children of their fidelity. I ask you man to man, dear God, to bless this marriage as it stands, to give them husky children and a tough old age. And he married them. Twist and dance, she married me. Twist and dance, she married me. Twist and dance, she married me. And I'll still have her in the morning. Fires against the moon. Dancers against the moon. Dancers against fires. Music against dancers. Legs, legs, legs. I'll still be dancing on my honeymoon. I'll still be dancing at the end of June. Give me a kiss and dance me quicker. I'm getting drunk on this whiskey liquor. Robert is drunk. His eyes are blurry. Glad he's drunk and scared he's drunk. Swing me in a hurry. Stop for a drink and a rest, boy. I'll 
dance all day and I'll dance all night. I'll dance and wrestle and spit and fight. I'll dance with her and I'll dance with you and I'll up and die at 92. And I'll still have her in the morning. Walking toward the place prepared, hand in hand in the gone moon darkness, relentless as fire against fresh wood. In the forest, the she-owl shivers. The round worm searches earth. The river goes its private way, blood in the arms of the land. Hands to each other's heads in comfort, lying among the staring trees, bodies thick with the earth's soft dust. Then the rain, the total rain, and they go gratefully to the horseless wagon. And this is the end of the day of the marriage of Anne. It has been said that the poet is the only person who cannot waste his time. And I suppose this poem is partly to prove that that's true, or at least to take advantage of a habit called bit players. It is that time of night when it has been night for a long time. Bets are off and the room has no corners. The picture is flat and constantly interrupted, like my memory, and like my memory, it is in black and white. A man smiles with first love as he is being married, and I want to say to him, I know what will happen to you. You will live another 31 years. The girl who holds your hand has been mutilated. The judge, my aunt was 20 when we saw this show. I came to her hip, and she hummed in tune with life. Joe was still alive, and the baby hadn't grown where it should not. It is late, late, late. I stir in memory's light, real light. Everything near me saying, plain as day, we know what will happen to you. Usually a poet knows where poems are coming from, or at least this one does. But this poem is quite an exception. What I found myself imagining is that I had found an old book, oh, say in the Vatican Library. Someone had written a dedication in it in Latin, and I translated it. Dedication. Here's a book for my favorite bookie, full of guys and puns and cornered nookie, Catching just right the classic tone, the silver phrase and the primal bone, slinky tethers and working jaws, leaps that would make old menopause, romps in the sun of a foggy night, a rhyming drunkard, a jiggered fight. Lesbia's down, the times are drab, she says she misses your line of gab. Come on over and you can ball us. Up Caesar's ass, your friend Catullus. Land's End. Not just one night, but all the nights I've wandered here, stirring birds and counting waves, while the sunny moon kept burning holes in thoughts I'd saved for darkened walks. Watch ships of steel, surprised by standing on the nervous sea as though their hearts were cork concealed in livid shawls to tease the staring shore. The late straw grasses of a dry season litter earth turned old with waiting, 
while torn trees turn from the gone sea wind in living fear of its return. Implacable as litanies, the nighttime water comes to slide its seamless hands across the gray and sandy belly of its solitary love. Deep in a catacombed cove, where even fools would dread the dead birds lie, too damp for ants, unturned sand about their marbled eyes as though some more could happen. Here, on the tapering brink that ends my home, the cathedral size of nature waits the soul with endlessness until the cries of children tearing new flowers from their earth would seem a peace against the terror of this land too long, too close to the overwhelming sea. My, my. It was the first good day in a long time. Even ball men took their kids for a walk, and I put on the mamas and the papas, stood at the window seeing marvels. Dogs looked giggly, and the prick next door waved, and I found I was saying out loud, I must have done something good. I must have done something real good. This is a poem to the angel who was given the privilege of naming the color of grass, and who jumped up and down, waving his hand and shouting, Green! 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 Oh, green! Green. This next poem, the last one I will read, is called A Poem About My Life. It is, of course, not about my life, but about the life I would like to lead. And I'll describe it to you. A poem about my life. I would find the road and then the house, trying to look neat. Well, there you are. Before we start, let's have some food. Blue water pots, red faces, and white arms. Pay for my time. The other things don't count, materials and such. I have a hand that all can read. I'll show you if you want. But we would talk of price. My city fingers moving round the air, more strong than tough making it seem to be right there already. We need it soon, this very day. I nod and say, I know, for he has sought me out. It was the name he heard, he says, when he went into town and asked. We sip at coffee with the bargain struck. They place a table near the well's green edge, and I line up my pens the way I do. The children come and watch me work, led by the boy who means to do it too. I let them stay and let them see it as it comes along and hold it up and since they're young, show them with what care I join the reason's edge and how it fit just snug and fine enough and how it seemed one thing when first you looked, but when you looked again, it seemed another. Finishing as the children fooled around, the parents back and walking toward the well, ready to read and time enough to see. I'd hand it over and I'd watch his eyes and then he'd read it out and they would ooh and ah and then he'd pass it round and they would pick out best and next to best and so the boys all fine, the girls as grave as teachers waiting to see it grow inside them or to be of no account. They'd fall to quiet, looking one to one. I'd stand up then to go and we'd shake hands. I'd start across the yard in yellow light, turning to fix the gate and not too shy, 
I'd call across the evening, tell your friends. That was Dan Langton. That was fantastic. That was Florencia, and I believe that was recorded in 1976. Cool shit, right? Poetry doesn't age. I love that. I think it stays awesome. He's an interesting poet. I like that last one about the about the, uh, the angel. Green, green. <laughs> you get to choose the color. All right. This is in the aviary by Gerald Costanzo. Costanzo's poems are witty, terse encounters with the realities of modern America, its language and culture, with the self, in lines that seldom waste a syllable. Costanzo recounts his meeting with himself in the recognition that followed. Editor of Three Rivers Poetry Journal, Costanzo teaches English at Carnegie Mellon. Poems have been published widely in such magazines as the Prairie Schooner, the Beloit Poetry Journal, and Minnesota Review. Cool, cool. Uh, strange old poetry here today. Why not, right? Uh, Sheriff of Truth will be giving us a call at 1 o'clock, 1.15. So after this awesome, uh, beautiful poetry. The area is entitled First Poems. They are largely recollections of events from my childhood. The poem near Lacombe concerns an experience in which an uncle had driven me and a cousin of mine out into the countryside to see the oil wells. Our car broke down. In seeking help, we came upon a shack. Inside was an old man in a rocking chair. The dwelling had no electricity, and as it was beginning to be dark, he had been reading by candlelight. My uncle left us with him while returning to town for assistance. While we were there, two frightened five-year-olds, the man began to tell us the story of his life. Though we comprehended none of it, as I reminisced, I've become fascinated with the need of individuals to tell about themselves. Near Lacombe, fastened to his rocker, the old man rocked for hours, making stories from his life. We heard his watch ticking on its chain and smelled the odor of his pipe across the dusty room. What we heard was how hard it had been at first coming west how he'd been the one who helped discover oil near Rimby, making instant promise of the place, how his good wife had loved these lonely hours clean till her death, and what we heard was nothing of what he thought he'd said. Building is a poem about my maternal grandfather. He was a contractor who built houses and bridges building. My grandfather was a builder who sweat words into stone, then blasted with hammer and nails his plans toward form. His was a poetry of concrete made poetry by his hand, though he told me once before driving to work, when his heart exploded him off the road, that he'd often wished his several selves, strangers that they seemed, might have fit better into his wrinkling skin.
When I was living in Baltimore, I read a newspaper account of a young boy who had taken his own life on the lawn of the United Nations building protesting the war in Vietnam. The act of taking one's own life was something I found difficult to imagine. I wrote a poem in the first person to attempt to do just that. To one dead at twenty of self-immolation by fire. The breeze I set to blaze consumes me. Whirling, I fly in a whisper of ghosts. I flee in this burning the shadow of myself, the flame of my mind smeared with mercy, with heaven. An angel lilting, I'm dragged down only by the weight of my promise, the weight of my ashes, to struggle to rise like Satan in the depths, wings washing the air with fire, but frozen to the waste. Toward San Francisco is a poem about the aftermath of the death of our first child. We come here to forget the ash-damp summer Boston, a baby daughter who should have been. Five days across the scorching land, still all our thoughts, our sparse words are interrogative. Exchanging Spock for guidebook and map, we accept what direction we can get for two turned tourists once so well prepared for parenthood. Heading into the Sierras past sunset, a cool breeze soothes the wound that time will heal. I watch your sleeping face, scarred far too old, wince in the wind, and I drive on, dreading another night and apart from myself. The poems in the second section entitled In the Aviary, concern the theme of isolation. Taken as a group, they are linked by the thread of human misunderstanding. The death theme is a poem which happened while I was walking in downtown Pittsburgh. I came upon two elderly men who had been engaged in conversation with members of a religious sect known as the Hare Krishnas. The men had walked away from the conversation, and as I passed, I heard one of them say to the other, in death, you relax totally. There are no more worries. You have finally made the team. That was all of their conversation I heard, but the idea of the death as game metaphor struck me immediately. In death, you relax totally. There are no more worries. You have finally made the team. Reclining, you float outward, abandoning that flesh stitched together by bones you once called yourself. You wheel into the circling dark, joining the other members. Together you summon squads of the living, bid them rise out of themselves as you have done. Engage them as contestants in death, your game, successfully and forever. The title poem, In the Aviary, was written after my first visit to the Conservatory Aviary in Pittsburgh. It became, it seems to me, a sort of poem of the environment. High above you, some fool in a biplane is seeding the clouds. You curse him aloud. You threaten him with the flack of your fists. Further along, three archetypal owls out on a limb begin hooting at you. You pelt them with small stones, consistently missing. A parrot from the bushes calls you a fly-by-night something or other, and two snowy egrets cough soot on your shoes. 
deeper into the beautiful garden, vultures circle your heart like apostles of grief marking time. Every teacher of writing I've encountered has repeatedly stressed the avoidance of using cliches in writing. Perhaps as a result of this, I became interested in cliches. I wanted to redeem them, to resurrect them. They are indicative of the kind of language poets often use, in that they are literal and figurative in meaning. Here is a poem written with cliches called The Poem About Blue Loons. This is the poem about blue loons, the one where they drive their perfect cars into the city facing the same hazards we face. The lady loons have bees in their bonnets and the gentlemen wear feathers in their caps. Though the roads are paved with good intentions, they blow their own horns, and though they travel unnoticed, their presence is no allegory. They take their own sweet time, they have axes to grind, they love fine kettles of fish. One Saturday, when I was desperately looking for something to do to make my life interesting, I picked up a copy of TV Guide, and I found that the first interesting thing on that day was the movie at 11.30 that evening, a monster movie. The name of the movie was Grasshoppers, and TV Guide said this about it. Atomic radiation gets the blame again as monster grasshoppers make a shambles of Illinois. Well, I thought that was a movie I could get interested in, and I waited all day for it to come on, and unfortunately fell asleep about 10 o'clock that night and woke up at 4 o'clock Sunday morning having missed it. The poem seemed to be almost therapeutic. It happened immediately. Grasshoppers. Suddenly they appeared, addicts for everything in Illinois. They removed Peoria in a minute, the populace drowning in a liquid with the sharp odor of tobacco juice. In Carbondale, grasshopper eyes were seen in the distance, luminous as astronauts' visors. Then came the end. Chicago's buildings were crushed in a holocaust of mandibles. They scuttled Skokie. Moline was a maelstrom as they moved toward the borders where in the face of signs reading welcome to Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri, Iowa, and Wisconsin, they collapsed dying to their gargantuan knees. Flagpole sitting is a rather unusual sport, which is documented in the Guinness Book of World Records. The flagpole is much like a telephone pole upon which rests a platform topped by a hut. The object is for the flagpole sitter to remain on the pole for as long a duration as possible. Flagpole sitter. Remember, I perched atop those flagless poles of the 50s and waited. This was at carnivals, grand openings of gas stations, and state centennials. I was up there with my summer cold like a kid hiding in his treehouse from mom. You waved when you passed, wondering why I did it. When I broke the record, I came down and slept for weeks. I was all the rage then, but I knew no fame or any reason for my act, only as with a man who keeps both feet on the ground, the alleged fact of time.
The poems in the section at Irony's Picnic are about extraordinary events and extraordinary language. Often while driving, I pay particular attention to roadside signs giving place names. Once I saw one which said, Woodpecker Valley, seven miles. I incorporated the name into the poem called Dude Ranch. There ain't nothing here but divorcees and dudes, no doggies or coyotes, just the hot springs pool and a sauna. Every night there's a hoedown on cable TV. When you come, they drive you out on a rattletrap stage and step you down to a fiddler playing whilst the head dude is saying, Howdy, partner. The name's Buck Lorenzo. Welcome to Woodpecker Valley. Everyone is familiar with the filler used in newspapers, print that's used just to take up space. Oftentimes, there are little stories which are not complete, and I use those to write poems, simply finishing the stories. This is a piece of filler I found in the Boston Globe. Once a year, for the past seven years, a little old lady drives out near St. Thomas Episcopal Church and measures a tree. The Reverend Armand Laval and his wife do not know who the woman is. I began to wonder what that was doing beneath an article on the mayor. It also seemed to me that if one were going to measure a tree, even if one used a measuring tape, one would have to embrace the tree, and therefore that this would be a love poem. Measuring the tree. But they share her intimacy with the tree. They feed it fertilizer and they feed it air. They water it late at night and in winter they offer prayers against foul weather while the sun hangs a dim lozenge of light on the horizon. Once each year for seven years they peer against the frosted rectory panes and the lady comes. Driving out of the south, she parks her coop at the roadside and edges toward the tree, measuring tape in hands delicate as a seamstress. Who could deny one measure of God's world is in inches? She embraces the trunk to learn its growth. Who could deny her quaking wrists, eager for the feel of bark? The poems in the next section of the book and author of pantomime are concerned with various human disguises. When the dish ran away with a spoon was a poem which culminated a kind of interest I'd been taking in nursery rhymes. The original Mother Goose rhyme went, hey diddle diddle, the cat and the fiddle, the cow jumped over the moon, the little dog laughed to see such sport and the dish ran away with the spoon. I began taking an interest in the words in that nursery rhyme. Many of them had changed meanings as they were incorporated into colloquial language. Yes, as it inevitably occurs, the dish ran away with a spoon. He was a stunning platinum blonde who wore real diamonds. He was a ruddy-looking guy, obese, balding and grateful just to have her on his arm. He was a guy of whom the passers-by all said, whatever does she see in him? Well, they abandoned that merriment and got themselves a room, and the love they made was precisely the kind that leaves a little dog laughing should he see such sport, the kind that leaves a cat to his fiddling and a cow 
jumping over the moon. The bigamist. He lives to learn the loopholes in his speech, the way the easy journey from Memphis to Mobile makes him forget one half of everything. Darlings, as sure as there are two of you, there are two of him, walking among us somewhere, disguised in his accustomed civilian clothes. I wrote the poem and author of Pantomime after seeing a mimist on television. It occurred to me that in his way, without the use of words, he was making visual pictures, just as I attempted to do in poems. An author of Pantomime. What the black tights and black slippers tell you, Sahib, is that for the present I'm top banana or anything I wish to be. I waste no breath. I ruffle my hair a bit. Here is my magic wand, my pan's nay. I'm skating along on thin ice, and then, without apparent effort, I put one foot in the grave. I'm masquerading as death, Sahib. I'm speaking to you in your native tongue. The poems in the section called Life in These United States are marginally political poems. At each step, I have attempted to find some analogy for the specific political situation. The poem called What Youngstown Needs is Good Representation was written shortly after my car broke down. The last thing I had heard on the radio was a politician saying, what Youngstown needs is good representation. Let this represent Youngstown. Let there be strangers taking the shade on impossible verandas. Let them be eating the dusk with the finest of silver. Let them be decked out in lobster bibs with appropriate manners and plenty of ketchup on hand. Let them sip civic pride in the moonlight. Let them reflect on their days in a concert of various desserts. Let them retire to discussions of the Department of Public Works in their dreams. Let an adequate darkness digest the long hours of their sleep. Let Youngstown be represented by this. My grandmother, who thinks I'm a very busy man, has given me what seems to be a lifetime subscription to Reader's Digest. The periodical is full of condensed articles and whole 500-page novels condensed to five pages. These condensations are punctuated by sections of jokes which themselves must be condensed because they're never funny like jokes without punchline. I couldn't resist writing some poems borrowing these category titles. This is Life in These United States. It goes on, official Washington holding its breath, the official middle class holding its breath, the official impoverished holding their breath, the unofficial aristocracy, which everyone knows is official, holding its breath. Conservatives, liberals holding their breath, strippers, farmers, and queers holding their breath, all of us holding our breath, awaiting the inevitable result of holding one's breath, wondering how long life in these United States can go on with our holding our breath like this. I wrote Growing Up in the Depression of the 70s, 
1972, after the first minor rise in the cost of food. It's what happens when the politicians are in cahoots with the hooligans. Beans go up, bread rises, money does a jig under the table, recalling its numbers, living in the past. So many of us become petty thieves, even crime doesn't pay. It's what happens when there is nothing left in Fort Knox but an old magician squeezing water from coins. One day while I was reading the newspaper, I came upon an ad which said, Guy Lombardo wants you to be his neighbor in Apollo Beach, Florida. My first inclination was to literalize the invitation and I became flattered. It was extremely entertaining reading about Guy Lombardo in an unusual context. A few days later, I wrote a poem largely about the end of tradition. When Guy Lombardo died, New Year's Eve went with him. On December 31st, all of the people on the Earth's dark face forgot how to dance. Days later, when they remembered to foxtrot, there was no need. In the minute of midnight, gravity was suspended. The ball atop the Times Square building refused to descend. For the first time, rain swirled unimpeded by bodies to the pavement of those streets, the air of vacancy of kisses and noisemakers. In the morning, people came from their houses with no hangovers, and stone sober proceeded with the old business of the world. The poems in the final section of the book, entitled The Meeting, record the attempts of various individuals, including myself, at self-recognition. This is called The Smallest Thing on Earth. You awaken to find you are the smallest thing on Earth. And where does the smallest thing keep itself? The slightest breeze tips you over. Everywhere the grass is talking about you and what it says is anybody's guess. The birds, your former friends, keep mistaking you for something good to eat. As it is, your life is more fragile than water in the hands of a bucket brigade. It has come to this. In your dream, you are walking to the end of the world to learn the secret of size. Hunger. An owl shuffles in the cold eye of the moon. In low ground, blind mice are alive. Even hunger is as old as these hills where everything known is a risk. What can we learn from the dangers of this world, like driving through mountains in rain, from loving and later like orphans of night, from trekking the slow depths of sleep? The final poem is called The Meeting. Somewhere along the road, you meet up with yourself. Recognition is immediate. If it happens at the proper time and place, you propose a toast. May you remain as my shadow when I lie down. May I live on as your ghost. Then you pass, knowing you'll never see yourself that way again. 
The fires which burn before you are your penance. The ashes you leave behind are your name. Poetry Afternoon. There we go. That was fun. Uh, we're going to have a call coming up real soon from the Sheriff's Troop. And until then, let's get you guys some more music.
I hear something. Hey, yeah. Hi. How are you doing? Can you hear me a little bit? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm sorry. I'm like so okay. frustrated right now. I've been trying to work on this project for the festival, and I am. I hate computers so much, and I'm paying these two people to help me, and they're not helping me, and I hate computers. I, I tried to type everyone into Facebook to make a message, and there's two, you can't have more than 50 people in a Facebook message. And I don't know how to use Instagram. Anyways, I'm fucked. I, don't, I have no idea how I'm going to do the festival this year. I'm absolutely screwed. It's too big. There's too many comics. I can't, I have no idea how to contact everybody. It's, it's just too big this year. I'm so freaked out. <sighs> okay, anyway. sorry. You're freaked out about what? The, the festival. I've got, I can't even, I've sent out emails to tell people they're in, but I can't, they aren't, haven't gotten back to me, or I don't understand how group threads work in Gmail. Like all of everything, technology is against me right now, and I have no idea how to fix it. I've been spending hours trying to make it okay. work, and it's not, and it's just like, I just can't, I just can't, I don't know what to do. I, I anyways, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm like dealing with right now the festival is kicking my ass and it's I know. anyway i'm screwed it's too much well, it's too much work when i get i i can possibly help you if i get to uh when i when i'm sitting down someplace i'm actually on foot right now uh with a knee on a bed uh at work Gotcha. See, there's a spreadsheet. Someone, this thing, someone made me a spreadsheet and all the information's on the spreadsheet, but ha ha ha, I don't know how to use fucking spreadsheets. <laughs> so like, I'm totally fucked because I have no, it's supposed to be easier when you have everything in one place, but it's making it more difficult. Like, I just wish I would have done it the way I did it before, the way I understood with my hotmail and everything else. You try to do it with other people and then when they don't come through and do it, anyways. Let me try to help you. So let me get back into the office. And I can try to help you with spreadsheets. I just, I just have to, I just don't know how to use, I just don't know how to use spreadsheets. I mean, everything's right there. All the emails are there, but it's like, how do I get all of them to move from one place to another? Like, they're all there. What's the point of putting things in a place if you don't know how to put them somewhere else? And so I've been taking, like, copy-paste with my finger on my phone, and I'm blind. Like, I'm an old... It's just, it's not fair. I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm not supposed to be doing data entry. It's, I'm so frustrated with like life. Like I'm paying two people to help me and I'm not getting the help that I need. And it's like, I'm still doing all the shitty stuff I'm not good at. It's really frustrating. It's like, yeah. I don't understand like why, I don't know. I just feel like I have to work harder than everyone else because everyone else understands all this bullshit. I don't understand Instagram. I don't know how to do any Instagram messages. I have no idea how to talk to people on Instagram at all. And if I, that means I'm going to have to do, is I hate Instagram. I don't want to spend time on the internet. I'm so frustrated. Calm down. The, the Instagram thing is easy. I can help you with that too. You're probably looking, uh, are you on, do you have Instagram on your phone or a laptop? I have Instagram on my phone. I don't know how to use it on a laptop. Okay, because if you have it on your phone, there's an icon. They're probably uh, in the Instagram app where you like. You might see things that are messages. It's like um, in the top right. Top right? Yeah. Oh, no, you don't even understand. I have no idea how even... I The only things I know how to do on Instagram is I know how to post, but only from my gallery. I don't even know how to post when you're inside Instagram. And that's posting. 
I just learned what a reel was. I, I, I am so basic on Instagram. You would try to talk me through. I have no idea where the messages are, how to find people, how to do anything. I have no idea how Instagram works at all. Like, at all. <laughs> so even if I, even though I have, I have all 55 people's Instagram handles, and if I could figure out a way how to copy-paste the entire section of them into a place, that would be great because I have all the Instagram handles. But I don't, I don't even know how to make a message on Instagram. I don't even know. Like, I don't, I don't even know where Compose is. Oh, did you want to go to that piece of joy? Okay. Oh, you were, okay. Um, let's see. Hold on, let me get a quiet place. Because you're, you're in the Google form. That was also something that you're having issues with. What am I having issues with? Everything. Like, I just, I, I'm trying to talk to, so I made a, I made a Gmail with everybody's emails, and I said, hey, contact me and tell me that you're coming to do the festival. And then, because I put it all on a blind companion, a BCC, all these things have come back. I have no idea how to read the threads. I have no idea to see. I have no, I have no concept of who is who and what they're saying or who they are. It's all in this thread. So I, I was like, well, Facebook, I understand that. And if everyone could just Facebook me individually, I can see who they are and I can do this. But I can't get them all in a message. It, it's too much. This year's too much. I, I let too many people in. Like... That's, I think that's the, that's the problem. It's too big. I've asked people for help. I'm paying people and I'm not getting the help that I need. And I have no idea where to go or how to start. I have, I'm sitting here. I'm like, I, I have no idea what to do. And this is the crazy thing. I've done this festival. This is my eighth time. Why is it like I'm stupid and I have no idea what I'm doing? I've done this eight times. But for whatever hey, reason, um, right now. What are you doing? What are you what are you doing later on? I if you can, I don't get out of work till six. I'm I'm running an open mic. I'm running work. an open mic, and then I have a show in Fairfax. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing is I run seven open mics a week. Like I'm so busy, and that's the thing that's making me crazy is I've been spending two. I just wasted two hours, and nothing happened because I went from my phone to put it into the Facebook to do the thing. Like this. That's the thing. This isn't. This isn't easy for me. And I. I and I've asked people to help, and they're not helping, and I have to get it done, and I don't know what to do. So it, it's like I, I have no idea how to fix this problem. Anyway, it's just really frustrating. Okay. I don't even – and that's the what other thing. About- because someone broke into my other email, I'm working on the Gmail instead of the Hotmail, which I understood. And now I've got Gmail, which I don't understand. And I've got 15 different passwords because someone broke into my email, and all the things have been changed. And now I can't even get into my Gmail. So it's like I just – I hate technology so much, and I have two assistants now, and I'm like, and I have an intern. He hasn't done shit for me. I'm like, can you? Uh, I need, I need help. Anyway, it's, okay. <laughs> I'm um. Are you are you able? To... Am I what? I'm free. In, I'm free in the evening. I'm not. I I have Is no. You... I have I run open mics seven nights a week. I am booked this week like a motherfucker. I, I was booked twice yesterday. I have two bookings today. Tomorrow I have to run Mars Bar. Thursday Thursday I have to have someone else run my open mic because I'm on two shows. I'm in I'm in a comedy club. Friday this whole weekend I'm at Copper Spoon. I've got four shows. 
I got two on, I got my show on Friday here, then I gotta find a sub for, then I've got two other shows, then I've got my Saturday shit. I'm so fucking busy. And I've got, but at the same time, I've got to get all this stuff done that I don't understand. So now I'm just like, I, you know, I'm staring at a spreadsheet and I'm like, this is supposed to be easy. I'm supposed to be able okay. to take an entire cell. I think it's called a cell. I, mean, I think the cells are individual. There's a, a list of, there's a, a thingy. Yeah. Saturday or Sunday? I can help you if you want to come over in the day. Possibly on Sunday. You. Saturday, I have a comedy show at 2. Um, yeah, Sunday it look, would, might be the only day. But that's the thing is, I can't wait till Sunday. This shit has to get done now. Like, I need to talk to these comedians, and I need to figure out now what their dates are, when they're coming. Because I have to take 55 fucking comics and put them, take all of their schedules and put them on three shows a piece. Oh, but then I also have all of my in-town hosts that I've got to work out their schedules to see what show they can host. And they're getting paid by the grant. So I've got to get all their emails to the grants because that's how they get paid. And I've, I've got so much to do that it is so overwhelming. I don't even know where, I, I've started and it, didn't work and so now I don't know how to start again because it's like okay so here's here's something so since I can't be there on person here's something that helped me especially with Google Forms there are tutorials on YouTube um, if you look on YouTube and look for Google Forms they'll give you a tutorial that's kind of what helped me with Google Forms um, there's like a slew of them on YouTube of how-to videos. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I'm 48 years old. I'm not going to learn spreadsheets today. The point is that I pay two people and I need them to do some work for me because I'm, this is, I can't oh, put this off anymore. Paid. Oh, you have I have two assistants. They're supposed to do people. things for me that then they're, they're not doing anything. And I've got a guy, I've got a kid who's supposed to be my intern. And I was like, you under, you're, he's fucking 22 years old. He should be doing, I should be able to say, hey, here's this spreadsheet. Make a message with all 55 people on this spreadsheet. Like, this is, this is the stuff I should not, I am in charge. I'm not supposed to be the person doing all the data entry bullshit. That's my point. Like, why do I have to do all the shitty back-end bullshit? I didn't and, hear that part where you said no, you it's just I want people. That changes the whole dynamic. I just don't, I, I'm, anyways. I, I don't, I have to get, I, I won't, I gotta go, I gotta try to figure this out. Because here's the thing, I've got to get this done today. Because all these people, these 55 people from all over the country have to tell me when they're coming to fucking San Francisco so that I can schedule all these shows. I have, it is, if, if I don't get this done today, this pushes me back like a week in the future because I'm dealing with 30, I'm dealing with 35 shows at all these different venues. I'm dealing with, uh, 20 different hosts. I've got, I've got all different door people. That's easy, but, but that's the thing is I've got a schedule. I'm like, here's the one you get, and if they can't do it, I can't be like, oh, I can change it because there's too many moving pieces. I don't even. That's the problem. The puzzle is out there, but I, the pieces don't exist yet. It's all just amorphous. Like everything's out there, and I, I'm freaking out because the puzzle has to be put together, <laughs> and, and I can't, and I don't know. Anyway, I just all I want is a message with oh. everyone in it. <laughs> 
Anyways, I'm going to try to I, sit here on stupid Instagram and stare at this computer screen and by hand put in everybody's, like, because it was, should be easy. I should be able to copy-paste. But the, the, the data is on the screen in front of me and the, and the Instagram is on my phone. And I can't sit here. Am I supposed to go from, do you copy? Uh. Anyways, um, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm, but thank you for your offer, but Sunday's going to be too late. <laughs> You could try to send some, like, uh, maybe you could email the um, Google form to yourself. Oh, I have it everywhere. I have the Google form on my phone. I have it. I, I have access to it, but I, it's really hard for me on my phone to close a screen, to move a screen, to do the stuff with the finger. The things that kids do for fun and easy times, this for me is torturous. And, and that's the thing. That's why I, I just want someone to do something for me. Christ. I, but, but I'm also telling you right now. Why do now, I have to do, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm breaking down, but I feel like I always have to do everything and I don't want to do this. I'm not, I just, well, I feel like I have to work harder than now, everyone else. Anyways, I'm sorry, I just, I'm so overwhelmed. And I don't even know if it's Phoenix Day or what are we doing? That's even, that's even bigger. That's like its own thing on top of a seven day festival. And I'm like, and I've already, and it has to be in there because the grants, the money for the grants, like I said, I was going to do these things. And now I have to actually, I also have to track all this and then tell them how I, it's just, it's too much. Right if you look up a tutorial on YouTube. Don't just stare at the screen. You'll just get more and more frustrated. And then, I wish if I had FaceTime with you, I could. Well, okay, it should FaceTime be easy. I should be able. I think, because that's the other thing. If I, when, I just want to take all the emails and there's got to be an easy way to do it with a spreadsheet rather than copy pasting one by one because it hurts my hands. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I gotta try, I gotta, because I gotta get this done before I have to get, I have to get to, I have to get to OMG to run the stupid show and uh, it's gonna take me an hour to get Let there. Let me know what I can do, okay? Don't freak out, okay? Well, I, it's, I'm, Hello? hopefully, Hopefully one of the people will do something for me that I've asked them to do. But I understand these people, they have their own jobs too. They have jobs on the outside. And so it's like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Anyway, um, I, and is Phoenix Day happening? Are we like a go on that or? Yes, we just haven't, we haven't, we haven't started there yet. We're not gonna be starting okay. that probably till like after Valencia, so August. Right. Okay. So you still have time for the Phoenix Day stuff. Yeah, it's just that I've got to get all these ducks in a row, and I, and the time is just ticking away, and I, anyways. Okay, well. well let me know what I can do from afar. I'll let you get back you. to what you're trying to do, but trust me, go look at a YouTube tutorial. I, yeah, I me. mean, I just don't, I don't even know how to. I just want to make a group message. Anyways. Go to YouTube. But that's the thing. Is that's like, here's the thing. So I watch a YouTube tutorial. It takes me all the time. And then I've still got to figure it out. And I'm still not going to know. And it's still going to be difficult. Because I still have to use my finger and my stuff. And I'm, I'm like blind. I'm fucking blind. And when I'm at one screen to the other, I have to put my glasses up and down. I just. I just. 
Anyways, I'm going to try, and there's got to be an easy way. There's got to be an easy way. Anyways, I asked one of the kids that I paid to, to make a post saying, hey, congratulations, all the people. And they haven't even done it yet. So it's obviously not easy to do if, if... anyways, I don't. You're breaking away. Oh, what? Well, well away. enjoy, try to enjoy the rest of your day. I'm going to try to figure this out and because I've got to start, I've got to start scheduling I've got to start get. I've got to know what dates everyone's coming to San Francisco so that I can put them on shows. You know what I mean? I can't just put everything in the air and have it fall down and go. Well, this is the way it is. It's like I've got to do. I've got to set up the basis of communication so that I can work with these people. But I don't even know how to set up the basis to contact one another. So that's what I'm trying to figure. I'm gonna out. make sure that I'm. I'm gonna make sure that I'm gonna be in studio next week too. Okay. Well, but so that's the thing is by then, this is, my point is this. What I need is I need to hear from every single person, all 55 people, I need emails from them that say, here are the dates I'm coming. But I don't want to email them all individually because that's going to take me a fucking year and a fucking half. I just want it, but I've already tried all these other methods and it's not working. So it's like maybe I should have just sent them all individually. You know what, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send everyone a fucking individual email. So I'm going to spend the next four hours copy-pasting the emails and doing this. And that's the only way because I'm an old woman and that's the fucking way it is. So, you know, I'd love to be able to contact everyone all at once and be like, hey, here's the shit. But, but I tried that and I don't understand. I don't understand how to read the threads in Gmail. That's how stupid I am. I can't even look at the email that already exists and go, oh, here's the people, here's how they, because it's too much, it's all jumbled, it's all, anyways. Okay, well, good luck with the rest of your day. I'm gonna try to fucking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna email everyone individually right now. I'm gonna send 55 individual emails, and then I'm gonna deal with everybody individually, because I think that's the only way that it's, Hmm? Okay, you're breaking away. Hello? Okay, well, I hear you at Bart. I love you. I'm sorry. Happy wedding. Love you too. Bye.
through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, Vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Every Monday at 6 p.m., it's Joke Workshops, streaming live on mutinyradio.fm. Lift the veil from your third eye on joke creation and what it takes to be a stand-up comic in the five shakasanas of San Francisco's comedy scene. This all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing 2 to $5 at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio studio and gallery performance space, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory. 6th Street. Show up to go up. Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Artemis Spiderman. But I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the rhino. I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some schlemiels doing the laugh, laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate two to five dollars on. Hold, hold on, what is it? Princeton for what? Venmo? That's not real. What is that? Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown it on. I'll, it's nap time. The year is 2023. Laughter had value, and the unexpected laugh was priceless. Worry not, true entertainment has brought us a savior in who's that live.com. Oh, finally, an escape from the apocalyptic nightmare I live in. You can go to who's that live.com and buy comedy tickets. 
you're in the raffle, I guess. True, 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 true. First Sundays of every month, join your friends from Mutiny Radio at Hotel Utah on 4th and Bryant. 5 p.m. first Sundays for free comedy. Is San Francisco getting you down? Is everything too expensive? Not first Sundays of the month at Hotel Utah for free comedy with Mutiny Radio. Incredible lineups every month with the best comedians from around the Bay. Join your friends trying to keep things affordable for free comedy first Sundays of the month. Hotel Utah. Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Bar on Dolores, 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. There is <laughs> happy, happy hour the, is when the comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours, hour long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live at 2781 21st Street. Come down, be in the audience. Dog friendly. Dog friendly. We are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog friendly. Ooh, a dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. <laughs> dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party <laughs> at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. Two seven eight one twenty first Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. Dot FM. Here. In dot SF. Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Best Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed vests right here at the Pacific Northwest Best Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, Ives, and everything in between. All in one place. One day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. Never pay for fabric you don't need. Ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Titans of Comedy. That, that's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. My new Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday. Or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates I have to see you. It's sunshine and even in the drizzle, but not too much. And Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho... Take it with the freezers. Freezer. 
reservations on Eventbrite. Fucking public schools. In the tri-level dual world of stand-up comedy, laughter has value and the unexpected laugh is priceless. Who is that live.com? Comedy local shows on sale now. Everyone that purchases a ticket will automatically be entered into a true drawing. Who wants to focus on the genre of stand-up comedy and those that who's that? Go to who is that? Live.com for upcoming shows. Join us on a Come to OMG on Savory 6th Street for TGIF. Thank gods, it's funny. Every third Friday at OMG, check us out. Free shows, great drink specials, hilarious comics. Every Friday, San Francisco, gouging you. Here we go. Free comedy with Mutiny Radio. You know you love us. Third Fridays of every month, OMG, 6th Street. Come on out with your friends. Mutiny Radio, T-G-I-F at O-M-G. Watch if you want to, you can slap Spiegelman's behind. L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T on Mutiny Radio. Mutiny. Mutiny! It's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! No, it's, it's pronounced mutiny. Mutiny! 
on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Mike Spiegelman. Oh, Mike Spiegelman. Welcome to LWAFLMOIC. Wow, what a long acronym. That stands for Let's Watch a Full Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Mike, that is a long acronym, and it's been long for a long time of years. That is that is <laughs> longest name. Six years, seven years. You know, uh, I think we're approaching. That's why uh, we have two listeners. LW. And what was it again? Oh, yeah, the other listener thinks they're listening to the LWAF podcast long-winded as fuck, <laughs> which is two guys watching Netflix shows. So, but we're not that. We are going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube, as our acronym describes. Right now, we're on mutinyradio.fm every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, following Found Round Sound with Scott O. Last week, I called him Steve O. Oh, Scott O. Yeah, Scott O. We're also right now on YouTube, as we are every week. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, for the full experience. But you can DYI it today uh, by listening to our podcast and watching a full-length movie on YouTube at the same time. That's the premise. That's what the acronym stands for. Why do you need to know this acronym, Carl? We have a podcast, too. You can find it by searching L. F-L-M-O-Y-T. So you have three options right now. You're listening to us on Mutiny Radio Sunday. You're watching our YouTube channel or you're listening to our podcast. And all we ask in return, why don't you donate some money to Mutiny Radio? Go ahead to Venmo. Send a couple bucks at Mutiny Radio. Uh, Carl, gosh, good to see you, man. Good what movie are we you. watching? Oh, I should mention, Carl is a co-host. Gotcha, Carl. Uh-huh. That means that means he wrote the theme song, he produces and edits the show. He interviews a celebrity comedian who will do our countdown to the movie today. And he researches the movie every week. But for today, it's a switcheroo. Carl asked me to research and watch several times a movie and presented today. Carl, what was that movie? That was Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. Oh. Green, that's what you put in the YouTube search engine. Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. Oh. The channel we like is Amanat Oldies. Amanat Oldies. Terrific. Well, I'm really excited about that. Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. And you know what, Carl? Maybe if we're good, good, and I don't have to pull this car over, I will sing you the folk song. Green grows the rushes. Oh, okay. I'm What's, looking forward to that. Oh, are you? I don't think you are. Well, I'm pretending. I don't think you want to know what this is about. You want okay. to know what it's about? Well, it's, there's rushes and they grow. And when they grow, they appear green. Oh. So, okay, fair enough. Do, do you know the, the REM cover? Green, rush the, green grow the rushes? Okay, so I did watch this film. And when I searched Hi. for it. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, just so I wasn't out of context. I didn't do yeah. any re- – I only watched right. it once. I hardly Fair paid enough. attention. And I did see R.E.M. come up. Now, I was an R.E.M. fan. I thought I knew everything they did. I did not know they did 
They did a song called Green Grass and Roses, and if I can understand what the fuck he's saying, I think it is the, the folk song, which I will sing at the end. Okay. You know how, you know how the 12 days of Christmas is Christmas, it's Christmas, but it's not Christmas because we're not singing about anything Christian? Yeah, it's the it's same song, but mm-hmm. every single night there's fucking something about religion in it. So we're going to have to wait till the end of this movie. Man, we got a pack still for you. Not only did we have an amazing introduction, we are going to watch Greengrass and Rushes. Go ahead, into your searches. Search first. Okay, in the YouTube search engine, everyone put in Green Grow the Rushes, right. 1951, and the channel we like again was, what is an oldies? You're not going to find a lot of channels. I'm a nuts oldies, right. It's the only movie version of Greengrass and Rushes. Yo. They did it again. Greengrass. Green grows oh. the rushes. Oh, oh God. Fuck. And I think right. that that title has nothing to do with this film. I mean, they're in a marsh. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of Mr. Show. They could call it Flippity Green, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 crazy British farce. Uh, green grass rushes. So go ahead, hit that link. Hit pause. Zero zero zero. What? Am I not pronouncing the name? Green. Pronouncing isn't the right word. You're using different words. Green Grush, the Grushes Grow. Right, Green Grush, the Grushes, 1951. That's what you don't put in the YouTube searches. Listen, so we did the introduction. We told them where to go. They got the link. We're about to launch into a pre-recorded interview Carl did with a celebrity comedian who is going to launch us into the movie. So we have, yeah, and then we'll be watching the movie. And at the end, I will sing this fucking song. All right, so what a pack. You know, most of these bad movie podcasts, Carl, are two hours long because they talk about the movie. Ours is two hours long because we talk over the entire movie. Right. Right. Much better. All right. So we're going to kick this off, Carl. I am obviously very animated and excited to see this movie. So let us meet Carl. with. He's going to talk to a celebrity comedian. We'll learn about the celebrity comedian, and then they will do the countdown. And when they say go, they will go, and we'll see you then. I'll see you then. Okay, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Bahe Ho! Welcome, Bahe! Thank you so much. Fantastic to be here. I'm Mike Spiegelman. I'm on this interview, too. I'm a kiss on you, Bahe, and I'm glad to have you on the Celebrity Comedian Countdown portion of our show. Usually these interviews are conducted by Carl. We're going to pick your brain, Bahe. I know Bahe is a comedian in San Francisco, a very funny comedian, and also probably one of the best showrunners, has the best show, better than Cheaper Than Therapy, better than The Punchline, better than anything you're going to see. In fact, it's, it's baked in the title, The Best of SF Stand-Up Showcase. Uh, Bahe, what led you into doing this? How did this happen? The show? The one yeah. that we've been doing for eight years? Um, well, I always knew I had a lot of freedom to experiment whatever way you want. Nobody can tell you that like they don't want you to do that. Um, except the audience. And the audience hasn't told me that. Like the audience, you know, we've developed kind of a, a little bit of a following of comedians that we go with the show with every Friday and we sit back and we feature the best comics in the scene. So like Mike in the title. Yeah, it's right there in the title. And uh, it's fun. So how did it come about? Yeah, I just I just um, well we did a show for approached Ben Affleck because it went so well it was awesome and, uh, I was like hey do you want to work on like a sequel and uh, they said yeah and 
and it wasn't through like without like their cooperation we would probably be fine we certainly went through a lot of rough and rocky times and i think mikey was probably there for you know yeah i should say full disclosure i worked the door for vahe uh for several years the variety theater is one of the best theaters it is one of the weird hidden gems of san francisco it's a critics uh theater screening room where for during the 90s i went once uh but they all you all the critics would see movies there and it's run by the variety theater which is a charity group that does these charity runs and does the uh, Bahe's live shows and when, now what got you into comedy though Bahe? i mean what was the reason what was your voice um so always as a as a child always like a kid you know uh, i think i was always like kind of i think there was a lot of seriousness around me all the time i felt like i kind of like uh, i was kind of like break through that and then in high school i did some like stage stuff and it went like really well so then i was like oh i really like this and then i moved down to san diego and i started making trips to like the laugh factory but there's a comedy store on Pearl Street that I would go to um, sometimes and like come up with stuff. And at that time, I think I was like 17 when I went up to the, the Laugh Factory the first time. And I told this story on Zoom. It was funny because like I went up on stage. I was really nervous. And uh, I went to the bathroom beforehand. And uh, I just, so I then I go up on stage and uh, everyone starts like laughing. And I think I'm just going to go up. And it turns out my dad was there. <laughs> Classic. Right of passion. Right of uh, comedy. Yeah, and then the guy, you know, uh, what's the guy's name that was on Fox Hills? That um, I don't even know if he saw because I think he would have mentioned something about the movie being down. But you know how he gives advice. So he told me like to do comedy either a hundred more times or a thousand more times, and don't come back. So in other <laughs> words, don't come back. Don't do comedy. But I think it was cool that he like did that for me. He was like the owner. I don't know if he still does that or. I didn't go there a ton of times because it was like far away from where I was living, but when I did, I got that feedback from him. So, yeah, it's the importance. I mean, the, the shows are for the audiences, but it also really does help comics to have like a kind of a solid place to, to go from. It's pretty memorable. One of the things you guys did during the pandemic, I, so I was working with you, and there was a big argument of whether or not you should run the show. I think it was March of 2020. And you guys went off and went virtual. Uh, Giving interviews and then kicked off probably one of the most successful still running Zoom shows out there. How do you feel with having that title? <laughs> um, it's cool. I like it. You know, I like doing stuff, but I think being comics, you should have like a bag of tricks and like ideas and stuff that you can do. And also, it it kind of removes like the person to person element of stand up, which I think is what I really like. Um, but it is a form of human connection, and I think it is really cool to hear, you know, based on your experience. You were on the show last night. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you had 100 audience members, and uh, uh, it, they all have a kind of a community thing. It, it was it was pretty rock solid. You know, I feel like Zoom shows are like CNN. Like, once there's a national emergency, everyone's clicking on to it, you know. We just <laughs> yeah. have to wait for another, uh, another pandemic, but... I, I do think like the the cat's out of the bag and, and you guys run a real pro professional show too. Like 